0: with me to Luke chapter 18. We're continuing our series of uh, sermons on uh, the parables for the summer and this morning we are dealing with uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, sometimes known as the Pharisee and the publican. Carrie made mention of that this morning in Sunday school and we'll be looking at, at this morning as we come to the Lord's table. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14 and this is the word of God and he that is Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that is God's word, let's pray. So I thank you again so much for this opportunity to be together as your people, having now song, Your praise, having now prayed before your throne of grace, having read your word, we now are here to be attentive to the proclamation of it. And so I pray that you would rule and overrule what is said from this pulpit this morning. You, by your spirit, would guide not only the one who speaks, but those who hear. And we pray that we would only hear the truth, that you would break your word now to our understanding. And by your Spirit, give us eyes to see its truth, ears to hear its message, and grace to apply it to our lives. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this parable before us uh, this morning, the parable of the tax collector and the uh, Pharisee, is again one of the most familiar parables that Jesus told. You know, as you go through the parables, you realize how familiar... Many of them are, Uh, how familiar they are, not just the people of God, but also unbelievers are aware and have heard the stories of many of the parables that Jesus told. Many people see this parable as another parable about prayer, especially since it follows the parable of the persistent widow in the first eight verses of this chapter, which we looked at last week and which is, as we saw, a parable about prayer. But even though this parable describes the way two men prayed, it really is not a parable about prayer. Rather, it's a parable about salvation. To be specific, this is a parable about justification. A parable about how it is that we come to be justified by God or to be made right with Him. The key, I think, is found in verse 14, where Jesus says, I tell you, this man... That is, the tax collector went to his house justified rather than the other. Jesus says that one of the men was justified and the other was not. Notice that Jesus does not say one man's prayer was answered and the other's was not. But rather, one man was justified while the other was not. So the key question in this parable is not, how can I make sure my prayers will be answered, but rather... It is that more fundamental and basic question. How can I be justified before God? Now notice how Luke introduces this parable in verse 1. He says, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and he viewed others with contempt. What Jesus is condemning through this parable is is self-righteousness. Some sense that we can come to some self-justification. That there's somehow that we can, by our own efforts, make ourselves acceptable to God or right with God. He's attacking those who are self-righteous, who think their righteousness is in and of itself enough for God to embrace them. They're self-centered, self-focused, self-promoting, self-absorbed people that Jesus is telling this parable to here in this chapter in Luke. To say it another way, these are people who are driven by pride and arrogance, two human traits which happen to be contrary to the gospel. Again, notice the three things that Jesus says about these people, or Luke says about them in verse 9. They trusted themselves, thought they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. That's always the pattern, isn't it? An inflated view of yourself will always lead to a deflated view of others. The more that you think about yourself, the better you think you are, the more righteous you think you are the more you will look down your nose at other people and think that they are somehow less than you, not as righteous as you, not as good as you, not as holy as you. And that's what Jesus is condemning in this parable. Now, as with all the parables, they have a very relevant application. Let's be honest. In our day, the people who are described in verse 9, in our day, quite often, are the church folks. Aren't they? People who think well of themselves and who tend to think so much of themselves that they look down upon others or view others with contempt. And so let's look at the two characters in this parable, the two men that Jesus describes and then draw some application from it, especially as we come to the Lord's table this morning. First, I want us to look at the Pharisee. Again, in the parable, Jesus points to two men who came to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. We generally have a bad impression of the Pharisees today, don't we? Uh, we can't look down on them. But it wasn't necessarily so in Jesus' day. They were well-respected men. There were several different sects of the Pharisees. And this was really the most well-respected of the the Jewish sects in Jesus' day. There never were very many of them. But they had a lot of political and spiritual influence. They weren't political people. But just because they were so well-respected in the community, or the communities, they exercised a whole lot of political and spiritual influence over the lives of others. People paid attention to what the Pharisees said and what the Pharisees said. Now, the Pharisees, of course, were focused upon the law, very concerned about keeping the law and encouraging others to keep it as well. Now, as in every religious situation, there are differing degrees of commitment or loyalty. And that's the way it was among the Pharisees. Some were a bit lax in their commitment to the pharisaical principles. Others were uh, over the top in terms of their commitment or their zeal for it. Some were what we would call had a more fair and balanced approach uh, to being a Pharisee and adhering to the principles. Uh, It's it's that way today, isn't it? Even in the church today, don't we find varying degrees? Even in our camp, you know, we're in the reformed camp. We're reformed Christians. And some of us think we're kind of fair and balanced reformed people. I hope I am. And I get kind of frustrated with those over here who aren't quite as committed to the reformed faith as I think they ought to be. Who don't understand the principles of the doctrines of grace as I think they should. Then I get frustrated with those on the other side who, you know, it's not just enough to be reformed. You've got to be thoroughly reformed. Not just an R, but it's a TR. And we have these... Broad spectrum, you know, of of people, even within our own camp. That's the way it was with the Pharisees. Well, this was a man who was very zealous. He's like Paul was before his conversion. Boy, read Paul's commitment to being a Pharisee. That's where this man was—extremely zealous and thought very highly of himself. And as we'll see later, he didn't just do what the law required. He went far. Beyond it, he was full of pride, full of arrogance. He was, as Jesus says, one who trusted himself, thought he was righteous, and he viewed others with contempt. And Jesus says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood as he came to the temple and was praying this to himself. Now, that phrase in verse 11, praying this to himself, is kind of tricky to translate. And the Greek. That's why, if we went around and had you read your different translations this morning, my probably would come with different renditions of it. Uh, in my translation that I'm using, the New American Standard, it does say that um, he stood and was praying this to himself. The King James and New King James both say he was praying this with himself. The NIV translates it: he was praying this about himself. Uh, the new English version that some of you use uh, takes the phrase and puts it with standing rather than with praying. It says, standing by himself, he was praying. Um, But regardless which of those options you choose, it was a self-centered prayer. It was focused on himself. He wasn't concerned about praying to God or praying about the needs of others. But rather he was more concerned about reminding God What a holy and righteous person he was. This is his prayer, verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I make tithes of all that I get. What a prayer, if you can call it a prayer. Again, he wasn't really praying to God, he was praying to himself wasn't praying about the needs of others he was praying about himself shows he didn't really need God because he was trusting in himself you know you can tell he fits the description in verse 9 of one who trusted himself and viewed others with contempt by the way that he prayed what did he say verse 12 thought he was righteous I fast twice a week I pay tithes of all that I get, interesting that they, they bragged about fasting twice a week God only required one fast a year on the day of atonement, but see the Pharisees that's how they functioned, that was their mentality, they thought well if God is pleased with one fast if he requires one fast, then that pleases Him. well certainly he be pleased with more than one, so this began to add to it, and add to a thing, the more they fasted, the more pleased God was Until finally, some of them were really fasting twice a week. Thinking they were pleasing God, but forgetting that God himself said that God looks, or man looks on the outward appearance. Man counts the numbers of times. But God looks on the heart. And sees how it is that we engage in our religious activity. He trusted himself in his his fasting, in his tithing also you can see that he viewed others with contempt what was his prayer God I thank you I'm not like everybody else then he began to name them off the swindlers the unjust, the adulterers or even this tax collector you see he had just such an elevated view of himself that no one else could match it he felt he was better than everyone around and his prayer reflected it was the Pharisee. That's the way he came to God. Trusting in himself. But then there is also the tax collector. And Jesus could not have drawn more of a stark contrast on the social spectrum between a Pharisee who was well respected, revered in the community, and a tax collector. Tax collectors were loathed and detested by Jewish people. You see, the tax collectors were Jews. But they were employed by the Roman government to collect the taxes that the Romans imposed on the Jews. And so they were seen to be traitors, working for the Roman government, taking the taxes that really the Jews chafed under. But they were also seen to be extortioners. Because all the Roman government was interested in was the tax itself. But the tax collectors made their money by charging what we would say today a service fee. Now, most of the Jews didn't know what was tax and what was a service fee. They just knew they had to pay whatever it was the tax collector told them they had to pay. And many times the tax collectors imposed an enormous service fee. They took great advantage of their people. And so the tax collectors were among the most hated among the Jews. And yet here it is, this tax collector who comes in the temple to pray at the same time as the Pharisee. But notice the difference. The tax collector is very aware of who he is and what he's done. It's clear that he is a broken man at this point, embarrassed and ashamed by who he is and what he's done. And even though he had the same rights to approach the temple area as the Pharisee, he doesn't come barging into the outer court where the rest of the people were, but he stood off in the distance. And he was too ashamed even to lift his eyes toward heaven when he prayed, but he kept his eyes down to the ground. And all he needed to do was beat upon his chest because he was so miserable with himself. And cry out to God, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Notice he doesn't say, a sinner he says the sinner reminds us of what Jesus said or what Paul says in First 1 Timothy one the verse I put on your bulletin this morning it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and then Paul goes on to say among whom I am the foremost of all that's the same attitude this tax collector had I am the sinner He wasn't concerned about other people who might have sinned. The swindlers. The adulterers. He was concerned about himself. The tax collector. And he said God be merciful to me. The sinner. You see he was new. He was in spiritual poverty. And he gave an honest assessment of himself. Before God. Did you catch that? He gave an honest assessment. Of himself before God. That's where. The Pharisee erred. Because he did not give an honest assessment of himself. The Pharisee had a different standard of measurement. He measured himself against other people. And that is the wrong standard of measurement. Look, you can always find somebody worse than yourself. It doesn't matter what you've done what behavior you're trying to justify in your own life, you can always find somebody worse than you so that you can say, look at me, I'm pretty good. And that's where the Pharisee was. That was his standard of judgment. Oh God, I thank you, I'm not like everybody else. And then he really began to name off the dregs of the earth, the adulterers, the tax collectors, the swindlers but you see the tax collector had the right standard of judgment he was judging himself against the holiness of God and when he did he realized he didn't measure up that his righteousness was in no way enough to satisfy the just demands of a holy God and all he knew to do was to plead for mercy God be merciful to me because I am a sinner. Then in the third place, let's look at the interpretation. What does it mean? What is Jesus teaching us here? Again, as I began, this is a, this is a parable about salvation, about justification. That's, that's the meaning Jesus gives to it. One of these men went away justified and the other did not. Remember, it was the Pharisee and people like him, to whom Jesus told this parable. People who trusted him in themselves, thought they were righteous, and viewed others with contempt. And Jesus' point is unmistakable. The Pharisee came to God in the wrong way. The tax collector came in the right way. The Pharisee had a wrong view of himself and God. The tax collector had a right view of himself and God the tax collector received mercy and the Pharisee did not two brief points of application I want to give you one is that your view of God and your view of yourself is absolutely essential in your relationship with God and again that is the key place that the Pharisee aired. he thought too much of himself and he thought so much of himself he even thought too little not just of others He felt he thought too little of God He was more concerned about what he had done rather than what God had done. He was more concerned about what he could do rather than what God could do. He was so focused upon the law, and yet he was not concerned about knowing the lawgiver. And so he had this misguided view of himself. But you see, that did not work. He could not justify himself. He could not make himself right with God. And that's the why, why he went away still estranged from God and lost. But, but the tax collector, he had the right view of himself and God. He saw himself in need of mercy and asked God for it. He asked God to do for himself or do for him what he could not do for himself. And that, you see, is what justification is. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He does for us something we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot make ourselves acceptable to the Holy God. We cannot do anything to satisfy His demands for us. The Bible says that the best of our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's eyes. And you see, that's why we need a covering. That's why we need a cloak of righteousness. And that's what God provides for us in His Son. It is the righteousness of Jesus that clothes us and makes us acceptable to a holy God. That's what the tax collector was praying for. God, be, be merciful to me. Help me. Make me what I need to be to be acceptable in your sight. He had a broken and a contrite heart, and you know the Bible says, "A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise." Then the other application has to do with humility, and that's where Jesus goes at the end of verse fourteen. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's clear that the Pharisee humbled himself, exalted himself. In the end, he was he was humbled. The tax collector humbled himself in the end he was going to be exalted humility before God is the first step in salvation and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us see, see us as we are to see us as the sinners that we are and folks that's where the gospel begins the gospel begins with broken sinners People who are born in sin, as we read earlier from Ephesians chapter 1, who are not just estranged from God, who are dead in sin. And salvation is not just trying to make people feel better about themselves, building up their self-esteem, helping them have a new path on life. Salvation begins when realizing you are like this tax collector who says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, I am a sinner in need of grace. And that's where this table comes in, isn't it, There is no more humbling position for a believer than to be sitting before the elements on this table to be reminded that the Holy God did what you could not do for yourself. He sacrificed His Son so that He would be your Savior. And so that through His work, His death, your sins are blotted out and forgiven. I don't care what they are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you thought. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've said, how you've acted. It may be even this week. You may have dishonored God. You may have looked at something you shouldn't have seen. Gone somewhere, you should never have gone. Spoken to someone in a way you should never have spoken to them. And you come here this morning with sin in your life having disobeyed God, I want you to hear this morning the good news of the Gospel. Your sins can be washed away. The blood of Jesus atones for all our sin. There is no sin His blood cannot cover and His grace cannot forgive. And to realize that the Sovereign, Eternal God has given His Son to do that for you is one of the most humbling things I can imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And I pray that you would give us grace now as we come to your table. That we would receive it with humility and you would exalt us in the proper time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to read from Luke twenty-two, as we come to the Lord's table, which is the account, Luke's account of the Last Supper. Luke twenty-two, fourteen. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup. After they would eaten. Saying this cup. Which is poured out for you. Is the new covenant. In my blood. Jesus makes it clear. How we are to observe the Lord's supper. And it's clear in the Bible. That the Lord's supper is for people like. The tax collector. For sinners. This is the sinner's table. Because it is a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So if you are a sinner this morning, let me rephrase that. Since you are a sinner this morning, and you are in need of what this table represents, I invite you to partake of it. Now, it's my responsibility to give you a caution about that. This table is for broken sinners. For sinners who are ready and willing to confess their sin. For sinners who desire to repent of their sin. If you're harboring a sin, holding on to it, unwilling to give it up, then it would probably be best for you to let the elements pass this morning. But if you are broken by your sin, aware of your need for the grace of Christ, then I invite you to come with joy and thanksgiving for the finished work of Jesus on your behalf, to partake of these elements with gratitude and humility. All you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, who are desirous of living a godly life before him, who are in good standing in any evangelical church, the invitation is to you to come and to join and to share with us in the elements today as we prepare